Ephesians chapter 4. By the time we're finished with this, your Bible will open automatically there. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians to me is, it's my favorite. It's, well, I've got two, I've got three favorite. Well, we better stop there. <clears throat> but Ephesians is one of my favorite uh, letters or books in the Bible. It is so rich. It really contains the gospel. It's whole in that sense. If I could have just one book out of this Bible, if I were on a desert island could only have one book, this is the one I would want. It contains everything, essentially. It's, it's a whole grain gospel. It's a whole grain book. It's all there. And as we've talked about before, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, wrote this as a letter. And as his pattern is in so many of his letters, he starts the letter out not by telling them what he's really after, but by reminding them of who they are. Because many of these letters are written to challenge them, to cause them to come up to another level. And I believe that's what God is doing with this church. It's doing in our lives. We're, we're already facing challenging times. Whether it hits us directly or not, you just look at the headlines of the world. We've now had two major earthquakes in two months. And, and, and uh, you know, I heard a, 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 an expert the so-called expert last night says, well, the only difference is now the news travels faster. We know about it. But on the scale of earthquakes, well, these are two of the largest earthquakes that have ever hit. And, uh, and, and so times are changing. Things are changing. I don't know where they're all going to go. But you just read the headlines and you realize it's not the warm and fuzzy feeling we had in the 50s when I was growing up. And in the 60s, well, they weren't so warm and fuzzy. But, uh, you know, nice, comfortable, everything's going to be the same. Leave it to beaver, you know. You know, all, everything's, every, you know. Everything's just wonderful and it's going to be happy. We live in very challenging times. You understand when you were born again, you were born again into a war. You've, you've discovered you're in a war. It wars against your flesh. You, there's a war even going on within you. The Bible tells us in Galatians that the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Have you ever found that out? Go on a diet. You'll discover the battle. Your mind will tell you one thing and your body will scream at you something else. Decide to get up tomorrow at 5 o'clock and pray. You'll find your body has a language, not just... It'll talk to you. It'll tell you you're going to die. It'll tell you you can't make it. If you do this, you won't get through the day. It'll tell you all kinds of things, so you'll go back to sleep and you won't get into something that'll benefit your spirit, man. Um, so but there's a battle going on. And that battle's not just within us. The we're in the middle of that battle. And there's a grand scheme that's being unfolded, and God is not caught off guard. In fact, God is unfolding this scheme. And this church, I believe, is part of what God's provision is for the day in which we live. And you are part of that provision through this church. So God is preparing us. But you see, as you read through, uh, read through Isaiah and many other books in the Bible, God was doing the same thing at a different time. And he was doing it with the church's Ephesus, actually a series of churches. And what the Apostle Paul was doing and the Holy Spirit through him is he was challenging them to come to another level, to grow up and to mature. But what, as we have saw and saw especially last week, last week, that he starts this process by not telling them this is the things you need to do, but he goes back and reminds them and calls them to an awareness of who they really are. Because what God does is God never asks you to do something that you're not capable of doing with his help. He'll often require things of you that you're not capable of doing in your own effort. That's what that song we just heard was all about. But God will often challenge you to do things that are beyond what you think you can do because that way you have to depend upon Him. You have to, and as you depend upon Him, you get to know Him better. And as you get to know Him better, He has more of you, and that's really what He's after. So we saw the Apostle Paul, and we spent all of last Sunday going over this, going through especially chapter 1 and then some of chapter 2 and a little hint of chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul starts out by telling them who they are and who God has made them to be. And we use the example of, of, uh, of, of uh, John D. Rockefeller and how he raised his children. And he made, them, he made them start out working in one of the plants that he owned under a different name so that they could learn some of the very valuable lessons of life and the develop character and maturity. In other words, so they could grow up and mature. And we talked about what it must have been like to know that your father owned the whole place, even though you were working there in coveralls under a different name and being treated like everybody else. You knew you weren't like everybody else. 
You knew that someday that this was going to produce for you your destiny. You knew that the things you were going through right now had a purpose. They were equipping you and training you and giving the opportunity to grow and mature so that you could become, step into your destiny when that time came. And we saw that that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about here. To prepare them to receive the things he was going to challenge them to do, they needed to be reminded of who they were. And we're not going to go back over all of that. But we're going to start again in chapter 4, verse 1, because this is the pivotal change in this book. This is where he switches over from talking about what God has done for them and begins to call them to act like who they are. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or challenge you or, or urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Notice he's not saying you need to do these things so that you can receive your calling. Because what God does is he calls, first, he calls you first and then he equips you or prepares you. So the calling comes first. And so here we see that pattern again. The apostle says, Paul says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you already have been called. You've already been called. Faith Christian Center has already been called with a destiny to do something for God in this time we live in. And we talked about the very beginning. Last year we celebrated our 30th anniversary as a church, as a body of believers. And as we looked back and saw how good God's been to this church, how much God has blessed this church in every possible way, I just begin to wonder, why have you done that? Why have you filled us? Why have you blessed this church with so much talent, so much anointing, so many giftings? Why, why, why? Certainly it can't just be to have nice services on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. That's a part of it, but it can't be just for that. There must be something larger. Look at the foundation that's been established here. Now God has preserved us. It makes me wonder, God, what? What is it that you have for us to do? And, and, and if I look at this in the natural, it would scare me because I don't know what it is. And now I'm responsible for leading all of us there. But one of the things God's getting so clear in me is that the Holy Spirit is the leader of this church. Amen. You look through the book of Acts. He was the leader. He was the head. And the men and the women that followed him simply had to grow close to him and hear his voice and know what to do. And that's become my determined purpose. So I don't sweat it. I'm not, I'm not awake at night. What's going to happen now? I'm just going to know if he's taking us one step at a time. I want to follow him one step at a time. So I don't need to know all the things that are going to happen. I just need to stay close to my Father. I need to stay close to the Holy Spirit who is leading us and guiding us. And he will guide us through it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is the shepherd of Faith Christian Center, we shall not want. He will lead us and he will guide us. And so the Apostle Paul says, I, I beseech you to walk. Walk in the Bible refers to the way you live your life. The word in Greek means the way you live your life, the manner of life that you live. So what he's saying here is, I beseech you to live your life consistent with the calling that you've already been called to. Begin to act like who you are. And now what looks interesting, what he goes to, because this is what we're going to talk about this morning. The next thing he begins to talk about here. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Look at verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to read on through and then I'm going to come back here. For there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now drop down to verse 11. And he himself gave some, some of these gifts, to be as apostles, as prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And these gifts are given what? For purpose, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry, and the work of the ministry, some translations say service, is for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, that word means mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what we've seen is that the ministry gifts, the apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, are given to equip all of us. We're all saints. Just because you're not in a stained glass window doesn't mean you're not a saint. A saint just means somebody who's been set apart. If you're in Christ, you've been set apart. To equip the saints so that we can do the work of the service, and that work of service is the building up 
of the body of Christ. And the goal of that is until we all, all of us, all parts of the body, attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature, till we, the body of Christ reaches a place of maturity. Until Faith Christian Center reaches its place of maturity. Until you reach your place of maturity. And that place of maturity is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, until we grow up to be like Him. You've already got His nature inside of you when you received Christ. And now what He's saying is begin to act like Him so that you appear on the outside as you really are on the inside. So that you begin to talk like Him, think like Him, and act like Him. Say, is that possible? I didn't write this. The Holy Spirit wrote this. Now let's go on and see how we do that. See what that involves. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up, and that's what he's challenging us to do, to grow up spiritually in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working by which every part does its share and causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So the goal is from whom the whole body, the whole body of Christ is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies and it works according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And when that happens, it causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in, its, in love. You are one of those joints. You are one of those parts. And what he's saying here is the body will only work effectively and be healthy and grow to maturity when every part is correctly joined to the part it was designed to be joined to. And then when every part is doing its share. So the example he's using is of a human body. And Paul is so wise because it's something we all have experience with. If Paul used as an example, I don't know, something from astronomy, well, most of us don't have any understanding of that other than we see the stars. Or if we use some example from, I don't know, electronics, how a radio works. Only a few of us in here could relate to that. But he uses as an example something we're all very familiar with because we're sitting inside one today. Is there anybody here today that didn't bring your body with you? Some of you may not have brought your mind with you, but that's okay. You, you brought your body with you. All right, just want to make sure. Now let's go back because the key to understanding this is, again, the Holy Spirit is a master teacher. I'm a teacher, so I, I, I enjoy looking at how other people teach and understanding their method. And we saw last week that what the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul do is before he got into the challenging them to grow up and to come to another level, he started by spending an entire chapter and really three chapters in one form or another telling them or reminding them of who they were when they came to Christ, what happened to them when they came to Christ. And we went through a list of all those things. If you were not here, you need to get that CD and listen to it. And now he's talked about who you are individually. That's who he's talked about. That's what we talked about last week. But now he shifts the focus. And it's interesting what he says here. Verse 3. Endeavoring, and what endeavoring means is trying hard, working at, keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You can't keep something that you don't already have. The word keep implies you've got something and someone's trying to take it away from you. This is important. Sometimes I dwell on these little words and people understand there's a significance in these words. There's a whole mindset. There's a whole way of looking at yourself and at this church 
and at Christ that the, that the, the, the church by and large has not grasped yet, at least in this part of the world. So he's talking here about endeavoring. That word implies exerting effort. Which implies that if I don't exert the effort, then I may not get the results. Endeavoring, exerting effort to keep or maintain the unity of the Spirit. So again, the word keep implies I've been given something, someone's trying to take it away from me, and I'm told here to work at keeping what's been given to me so it's not taken away from me. So that tells me there's someone out there trying to steal this unity. Now what is this unity of the Spirit that he's talking about? One of the amazing things to stand before you every Sunday and Wednesday night and whenever I have the privilege of standing before you is to look out and just with my natural eye see all the different colors and all the different uh, uh, nationalities and all the different uh, backgrounds that we have represented in this church. It is truly a work of the Holy Spirit. Last May we celebrated our 30th anniversary as I mentioned earlier. And one of the things we did in preparing for that is we tried to identify all the nations that are represented here by where people were born. And we've got something around 30 nations represented here. Our Congress has been trying to do that by passing laws for over 200 years and have not succeeded to do what we've, but we haven't done it here. It's the Holy Spirit that's done this. I say that by saying what joins us together and binds us together cannot be that we have the same background. Because we don't. Not only don't we have the same ethnic backgrounds, we don't have the same economic backgrounds. We don't have the same educational backgrounds. We have people in here with multiple doctorates. We have people in here that didn't finish high school or maybe grammar school. Sharing together, worshiping together, studying together, serving together, without laws saying you have to do it. We take this for granted because of what God's done here. But other ministers come in here and they look out and see what I get to see every week. And they marvel at what God's done here. I don't ever take it for granted. What is that unity then? What is it? The word unity means something we have in common that binds us together, that we share together. What is it? It can't be our background. It can't be our skin color. It can't be our education. It can't be our economic status. It can't be our common interests. What is it? It's the unity of the Spirit on what you think you can do because that way you have to depend upon Him. You have to, and as you depend upon Him, you get to know Him better. And as you get to know him better, he has more of you. And that's really what he's after. So we saw the Apostle Paul, and we spent all of last Sunday going over this, going through especially chapter 1 and then some of chapter 2 and a little hint of chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul starts out by telling them who they are and who God has made them to be. And we use the example of, of, um, of, of uh, John D. Rockefeller and how he raised his children. And he made them, he made them start out working in one of the plants that he owned under a different name so that they could learn some of the very valuable lessons of life and develop character and maturity. In other words, so they could grow up and mature. And we talked about what it must have been like to know that your father owned the whole place even though you were working there in coveralls under a different name and being treated like everybody else. You knew you weren't like everybody else. You knew that someday that this was going to produce for you your destiny. You knew that the things you were going through right now had a purpose. They were equipping you and training you and giving you the opportunity to grow and mature so that you could become, step into your destiny when that time came. And we saw that that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about here. To prepare them to receive the things he was going to challenge them to do, they needed to be reminded of who they were. And we're not going to go back over all of that. But we're going to start again in chapter 4, verse 1, because this is the pivotal change in this book. This is where he switches over from talking about what God has done for them and begins to call them to act like who they are. 
I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or challenge you or, or urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Notice he's not saying you need to do these things so that you can receive your calling. Because what God does is he calls first, he calls you first and then he equips you or prepares you. So the calling comes first. And so here we see that pattern again. The apostle says, Paul says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you already have been called. You've already been called. Faith Christian Center has already been called with a destiny to do something for God in this time we live in. And we talked about the very beginning. Last year we celebrated our 30th anniversary as a church, as a body of believers. And as we looked back and saw how good God's been to this church, how much God has blessed this church in every possible way, I just begin to wonder, why have you done that? Why have you filled us? Why have you blessed this church with so much talent, so much anointing, so many giftings? Why, why, why? Certainly it can't just be to have nice services on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. That's a part of it, but it can't be just for that. There must be something larger. Look at the foundation that's been established here. Now God has preserved us. It makes me wonder, God, what? What is it that you have for us to do? And, and, and if I look at this in the natural, it would scare me because I don't know what it is. And now I'm responsible for leading all of us there. But one of the things God's getting so clear in me is that the Holy Spirit is the leader of this church. Amen. You look through the book of Acts. He was the leader. He was the head. And the men and the women that followed him simply had to grow close to him and hear his voice and know what to do. And that's become my determined purpose. So I don't sweat it. I'm not, I'm not awake at night. Of what's going to happen now? I'm just going to know if he's taking us one step at a time, I want to follow him one step at a time. So I don't need to know all the things that are going to happen. I just need to stay close to my Father. I need to stay close to the Holy Spirit who is leading us and guiding us, and he will guide us through it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is the shepherd of Faith Christian Center, we shall not want. He will lead us and he will guide us. And so the Apostle Paul says, I, I beseech you to walk. Walk in the Bible refers to the way you live your life. The word in Greek means the way you live your life, the manner of life that you live. So what he's saying here is, I beseech you to live your life consistent with the calling that you've already been called to. Begin to act like who you are. And now what looks interesting, what he goes to, because this is what we're going to talk about this morning. The next thing he begins to talk about here. The same spirit that dwells in me dwells in you. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I have, and I know some of you have because I've mentioned this before. You meet somebody for the first time and you discover they're a Christian. And the moment you do that, there's a closeness that you feel with them. I remember the first time that happened. I was working in Boston as a lawyer, and I discovered that there was someone else in our law firm that was saved. Now, I was a senior associate. And this person was a, was a secretary. And of course, in God's eyes, we're all equal. But in a law firm, that you're not equal. You don't get paid the same. You don't have the same workspace. You're not treated the same way, especially in a big firm in Boston. Their status. I mean, different lawyers get different sized debts. It's amazing. How these are, well, I won't go there. <clears throat> and I discovered that this secretary was a Christian, and she discovered I was a Christian. It's like there was a connection there. Suddenly, all those lines... We didn't see each other in the same way. And then I'd meet other people and find out that they were a Christian and then discover I felt a closeness to them that I didn't feel to members of my family I've known my whole life. And what is this? And then I began to study my Bible and I saw these verses and realized the same spirit that's in them is in me. So that's the unity that we have. But apparently there's something that comes to pull that apart that we have to work hard at maintaining. Now again, I'm studying here, we're studying together how the Apostle Paul was imparting this information to other believers as he, the Spirit of God wants to do to us. So let's go on and see what else he says here. Because this is so key to what we're gonna, where we're going to go. Verse 4. For there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were all called in one hope, of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is above all and through all and in you all. You're getting an idea here? He's talking about one. There's one body, one spirit. That means the same spirit that's in you is in me. That means the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus is in you. And the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus and that is in you is in me. The same spirit that was in Christ Jesus was in the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter was in Stephen and Philip and all the others in the New Testament. And that same spirit is in you. And it's in me. There's not a different version of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had and we have. There's not a different version of the Holy Spirit that the first generation of the church had and we have. It's the same Spirit. There's only one Spirit. Amen. And there's only one God. And that's one. I don't want to get off on this this morning. We may get into something later on. The whole mindset of the world right now is coming to the place where they believe that God's in everything. It's called pantheism. And what it does is it takes away from a personal God and one God to whom we have to give an account. It's not new. I mean, Paul encountered that when he went to the Acropolis in Athens. He said, I realize you worship many gods here. They love to debate the different gods. That's what the world's doing today. And he said, I come to talk to you about, I see a statue that you have erected to the unknown God. That was kind of their coverall. In case we haven't named them all, and there's another one out there, we'll worship you too. And Paul used that, the occasion, to say there is one God. See, that was so, what was so significant out of Israel? Because what God said to them is there is one God. There's only one God. There's only one God. There's only one God. In Isaiah, there's a verse in there. He says, I've looked around up here. I don't see any others. There's one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one Spirit. There's only one baptism. And what he's talking about baptism there, baptism sometimes does not refer to the water, getting out of the water. It refers to being immersed or joined to. And we were baptized into Christ, Romans chapter 6. You were joined to him. We're going to see more of that. But notice this, because having said all this, then in verse, in verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So what he's saying is, there's only one body. But to each part of that body, there's been a gift given. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. I just want to establish something for you this morning. We have to really move along. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or changing how you think, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect or complete will of God. Now look at this. This is how he's telling them to change how they think. I say to you through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He doesn't say to think less highly either but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now look at verse 4. For as we, talking about us, have many members in one body. In other words, he's saying just what I talked about earlier. Now he's saying take a look at your body. You have one body and your body has many members. Parts is what members means. Your body is one body, but it has many different parts to it. But all the members or the parts do not have the same function. I mean, we're all familiar with that. I hope this is, you all got that, okay? Your feet have a different function than your hands. I hope you understand that difference. 
I'm confident because I saw most of you walk in here today. You used the appropriate member for that function. Without a lot of prayer and a lot of thought, you actually used your feet for what they were designed to do. Now, it sounds silly, but there's a point here that Paul's making. So your body has different parts to it, and each part has a different function. Now look what he's going to go on and say. In the same way, verse 5, so we, being many, many different people, are one body in Christ. So what he's saying is, just as your body has many different parts to it, but that doesn't mean it's not one body. In the same way, Christ has one body and has different members in that body, but it's still one body. And individually that means we are members of one another. We're going to see that in a minute where we're about to go. But your feet are different from your hands. And they have a different function than your hands have. But they're still part of one body. And because your feet are part of the same body that your hands are part of, then they're part of one another. This isn't rocket. And of course, in God's eyes, we're all equal. But in a law firm, that you're not equal. You don't get paid the same. You don't have the same workspace. You're not treated the same way, especially in a big firm in Boston. Their status. I mean, different lawyers get different sized debts. It's amazing. How these are, I won't go there. <clears throat> and I discovered that this secretary was a Christian, and she discovered I was a Christian. It's like there was a connection there. Suddenly, all those lines, we didn't see each other in the same way. And then I'd meet other people and find out that they were a Christian and then discover I felt a closeness to them that I didn't feel to members of my family I've known my whole life. And what is this? And then I began to study my Bible and I saw these verses and realized the same spirit that's in them is in me. So that's the unity that we have. But apparently there's something that comes to pull that apart that we have to work hard at maintaining. Now again, I'm studying here, we're studying together how the Apostle Paul was imparting this information to other believers as he, the Spirit of God wants to do to us. So let's go on and see what else he says here. Because this is so key to what we're gonna, where we're going to go. Verse 4. For there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were all called in one hope of your calling. One Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You getting an idea here? He's talking about one. There's one body, one spirit. That means the same spirit that's in you is in me. That means the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus is in you. And the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus and that is in you is in me. The same spirit that was in Christ Jesus was in the Apostle Paul, in the Apostle Peter, was in Stephen, and Philip, and all the others in the New Testament. And that same spirit is in you. And it's in me. There's not a different version of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had and we have. There's not a different version of the Holy Spirit that the first generation of the church had and we have. It's the same Spirit. There's only one Spirit. Amen. And there's only one God. And that's one. I don't want to get off on this this morning. We may get into something like that later on. The whole mindset of the world right now is coming to the place where they believe that God's in everything. It's called pantheism. And what it does is it takes away from a personal God and one God to whom we have to give an account. It's not new. I mean, Paul encountered that when he went to the Acropolis in Athens. 
He said, I realize you worship many gods here. They love to debate the different gods. That's what the world's doing today. And he said, I come to talk to you about, I see a statue that you have erected to the unknown god. That was kind of their coverall. In case we haven't named them all, and there's another one out there, we'll worship you too. And Paul used that, the occasion, to say there is one God. See, that was so, what was so significant out of Israel, because what God said to them is there is one God. There's only one God. There's only one God. There's only one God. In Isaiah, there's a verse in there, he says, I've looked around up here, I don't see any others. There's one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one Spirit. There's only one baptism. And what he's talking about baptism there, baptism sometimes does not refer to the water, getting out of the water. It refers to being immersed or joined to. And we were baptized into Christ, Romans chapter 6. You were joined to Him. We're going to see more of that. But notice this, because having said all this, then in verse in verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So what he's saying is, there's only one body. But to each part of that body, there's been a gift given. Now turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. I just want to establish something for you this morning. We have to really move along. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind or changing how you think, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect or complete will of God. Now look at this. This is how he's telling them to change how they think. I say to you through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, he doesn't say think less highly either. But to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now look at verse 4. For as we, talking about us, have many members in one body. In other words, he's saying just what I talked about earlier. Now he's saying take a look at your body. You have one body and your body has many members. Parts is what members means. Your body is one body, but it has many different parts to it. But all the members or the parts do not have the same function. I mean, we're all familiar with that. I hope this is, you all got that, okay? Your feet have a different function than your hands. I hope you understand that difference. I'm confident because I saw most of you walk in here today. You use the appropriate member for that function. Without a lot of prayer and a lot of thought, you actually used your feet for what they were designed to do. Now, it sounds silly, but there's a point here that Paul's making. So your body has different parts to it, and each part has a different function. Now, look what he's going to go on and say. In the same way, verse 5, so we being many, many different people, are one body in Christ. So what he's saying is, just as your body has many different parts to it, but that doesn't mean it's not one body. In the same way, Christ has one body and has different members in that body, but it's still one body. And individually that means we are members of one another. We're going to see that in a minute where we're about to go. But your feet are different from your hands. And they have a different function than your hands have. But they're still part of one body. And because your feet are part of the same body that your hands are part of, then they're part of one another. This is good science. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get it. it. Sometimes we struggle because we're trying to get the deep spiritual principle, and it's a simple one. 
Well, let's go on. I'm going to look at another example that this actually shows it even clearer. Because then he goes on and says, verse 6, having therefore gifts that differ according to the grace that's given us, let us use them. And he goes and talks about the differences in grace. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 9. God is faithful by whom you are called. There is. He's talking about being called. And what were we called into? Called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The word fellowship there is so often misused. It's the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia means to share something in common with someone else. pastor we had in, you know, when we went to Bible school used to use it this way. Fellowship means two fellows in the same ship. It means to share something together, whether it's an experience or whether it's, it, it's the same thing. We have twin boys that are identical twins, and they share the same DNA. I mean, they share because they literally have the same DNA. Now, they've developed differences in their personality. But there's a sharing together that they have. When they were young, they were slower to talk than our other children because they had a language of their own. They didn't need to talk to anybody else. They had each other. They had a way of communicating. And I found out that's not uncommon among twins, especially identical twins. I know of a twin I went to school with, one twin, and I was interested because we were having the twins at the same time and, 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 that I was in school. And, and I, he, he, he had had a, uh, a brother that, that had actually had been uh, killed in an accident. And I, was just, I was asking, what was that like? He said, well, we were growing up. He said, if my brother hit his finger with a hammer, I felt it. And he was describing the sense of loss he had. It was not just a loss. He literally felt a dying when his brother died. A close bond there, which isn't just a bond by being together. There's a sharing together that they have. A sharing of DNA, a sharing of their environment, a sharing of their parents, a sharing of all those experiences together develops a close bond together. And Paul's talking about that here. Again, we're endeavoring to keep the unity. Now, what's the significance of this? called into this fellowship or joining together of His Son. In other words, we have been called. What's your calling? You've been called into union. You've been called, you've been joined together to have in common with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now look what he goes on and talks about. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Because then he goes on and talks about the fact that I've heard that there's divisions among you. And that's what most of this letter is written about. This letter was written to a church that Paul referred to as a carnal, fleshly, or immature church. Now notice one of the signs of immaturity is there were divisions that they let in. And the reason they let the divisions in is because they did not rightly discern who they were and what they were part of together. And so Paul writes this letter starting out by reminding them that they've been joined to Christ and then that they've been joined to one another, and he says, I'm challenging you to, to do what you've been joined to, which is to speak this. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean you have to agree on everything, but there's no disunity caused by the disagreement. The left side of your brain and the right side of your brain often disagree. But your brain doesn't split in half because of it. You understand that your left eye and your right eye don't see exactly the same point of view. But what your brain does with that is instead of gets into a fight over which one's right, it blends the two together and you get something called depth of field. Your left ear doesn't hear exactly the same perspective that your right ear hears. I remember the first time I ever put on stereo earphones. My goodness, the orchestra was in the middle of my head. Yeah, this dates me, but that was a strange experience. I'd never heard it before. And I discovered what they did is they recorded different 
tracks from different points, parts, points of the orchestra, and then they were, were on separate tracks, and the left track that was going in my left ear was from the, what they put, the microphone they put on the left side of the orchestra, and the right track, which was from the microphone on the right-hand side of the orchestra, was going into my right ear. And so my left ear and my right ear were not hearing exactly the same things. But my brain didn't get into a fight over it. it says, you know, the right ear is correct, not the left ear. What did it do? It blended the two together, and so we got depth of hearing called stereo. So your, mind, your body understands all this because it was designed by God. And what Paul is saying is to this church, there's divisions among you because you don't understand who you are. And the fact that there's divisions among you means that you are immature. Later on he says you're acting or walking like mere men. Well, let's go to chapter 12 because this is where he really lays this out. Now, chapter 12 is typically used for teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, and they're involved. But that's not really what he's talking about. He's, he addresses them, but the message he's talking about is really something else. Let's start in verse 4. There are diversities or different types or varieties or kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries or the way they're carried out, but it's the same Lord. See, the church was fighting. This was a church that thought they were so spiritual because the gifts of the Spirit were flowing in abundance and the people were getting in fights about it because one person thought they were more spiritual than the other because they prophesied more than the other did. I prophesy. I have a word of knowledge today. And you just spoke in a tongue. Obviously, God uses me more than you. I'm obviously more spiritual than you. They got to thinking they were so spiritual, they would not allow the Apostle Paul back in this church that he founded. He had to write 2 Corinthians and deal with some other issues. They thought they were so spiritual, and Paul is gently as a father, correcting them to telling them how carnal, how fleshly, how immature they really are. To show them that the mark of their maturity is not in the gifts and how they're flowing, but the mark of their maturity is they're recognizing who they are in Christ, that they're part of one another, because together they're part of Christ. So he's saying, yes, there's different gifts, but they're administered different. There's, but they're, they're, there's, they're, they're different gifts are different gifts are given, but it's one spirit. So notice as he talks about the differences, he comes back to but there's one spirit. There's one God. You're you're part of one body together. There are diversities of activities in verse six, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given, then he goes down and lists these. And he, verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now he's going to go back and use the body as an example. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So what he's saying here is just as your body has many different parts and yet is still one body, so also does the body of Christ have many different members, but just because they're different members doesn't mean they're not part of one body. But all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, we've all been made to drink of one Spirit. Drinking means partaking of. Now let's stop here a second. I won't dwell here long. 
I get concerned. And I'm not thinking about anybody in particular. I'm not even, thinking, I'm not even sure I'm aware of it in this church. I get concerned when I hear Christians talking about studying, researching their background, their ethnic background. It's one thing to know about it, but you've got to realize that when you came to Christ, you left all that. You left all that. And you you left that identity. And that's a good question to ask ourselves from time to time. What's my identity? Because that's really what we're talking about today. What's my identity? I'm part German, part English, and part a bunch of other things. My wife will tell you mainly German. There's a stubbornness. She calls it stubbornness. I call it steadfastness. It all depends on your perspective. But I don't walk around thinking myself that way. And what had happened was this church was walking around seeing themselves as different from each other, thinking of themselves as different from each other, and not recognizing that when they came to Christ, they they died to who they were. That's what baptism shows you. And they were were raised again to be joined to Christ. That's That's our identity. And they lost sight of this or never understood it. And so what Paul goes on to bring up to them, to show them, is this. For by one spirit, verse 13, you were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and you've all been made to drink of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not a part of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, am I not part of the body? Is it therefore not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the smelling be? But God has set the members, each one on the body, just as He pleases. What's He saying there? He's talking about the different parts of your human body, your feet, your hands, your ears, your eyes. And if they could talk, would they say, look, because I'm different from you, does that mean I'm not part of the body? So here what he's doing is he's looking at the different parts of the body and saying just because they're different, does that mean they're not part of the body? Well, you know when it comes to your body, of course that's not true. Because if you get up in the middle of the night and you didn't turn the light on, and as you turn the corner to go into the bathroom, whack, you hit your big toe. You hit your big toe. Everything in your body goes on alert. All the other parts that were asleep while your feet were walking, doing their job. Whack! Everything now in this body reacts to what happened to the big toe. They don't say, that's your problem, chum. I'm nice and asleep. You aren't watching where you're going. It's your fault. You take care of yourself. I don't care that you're bleeding all over the floor. I'm still asleep. Don't wake me up. No. Because what happens to that big toe happens to my body. Because that big toe is just as much a part of my body as my thumbs are, as my eyes are, as my heart is, because it's one body. There are many different parts, but the differences are they have different functions, but the different functions doesn't change the fact that they're part of one body. So in this section, he's talking about the fact that there are differences doesn't mean you're not part of one because the differences has nothing to do with your origin. It has no, oh, this is good. The differences have nothing to do with your nature. The differences are only differences in function and purpose. So there are many different personalities represented in this congregation this morning. There are different backgrounds. All of those lead into your purpose. So they're not a basis for our being divided 
because they'll perform different functions for one body, his. Now he goes and flips it over a little bit. Verse 20. Now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the hand to the feet, head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So what he's saying here is, well, just because your hand is part of your body doesn't mean it doesn't need the other parts of your body. So here he's emphasizing the fact that there's a commonality that we belong to the same body. Then he goes on and makes the point that in our body, often the parts of our body that are, what the Bible says, the unseemly parts, the parts that are not seemingly that important, are very important. Stub your little toe which you don't think very much about, and probably in most of our cases, we really not want to show off. I'll give you 20 bucks for it. 25? Cut it off today. You cut it off today before you leave, I'll give you $25. 30? 50? The ushers, the ushers have been given knives. 75? Well, your little toe is worth at least $75 to you because you're not willing to part with it. What would happen if we cut it off? Why don't you want to cut it off? It would hurt. There'd be a bloody mess. Why? Because a part of you will be separated from the rest of you, even though that part doesn't seem to be that important. And that's the point that Paul's making here. The key is this. Last week we talked about how you see yourself is so important to your being able to respond to the calling. To see who you are and who God's made you is because to call you up to who you really are. But so part of who we really are is we're children of God. All those things we went through last week. But the other part of who we are is who we are together. We are the body of Christ. That's not some symbol. That's literally how God sees us. Now go with me to Ephesians 5, and we'll just have to summarize this because we do share the Lord's table together today, which is significant, I think, for today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, famous scriptures, every marriage seminar uses these, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, as Christ is the head of is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so wives should be subject to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. Talking about the church. So husbands ought to love your own wives as your own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. What's he talking about there? The reason marriage is, one of the reasons marriage is so, so critical to God, and therefore such a target to the enemy, is that it is the closest thing on this earth to represent the relationship between Christ and the church. It is a covenant relationship. And we will talk about that some point this year. I'll teach you about the blood covenant. But the covenant, the essence of covenant, is two that used to be separate now are joined together and literally become one. Everything else about covenant comes out of that union that takes place. And so when you came to Christ, you were joined to him as part of his body. But the other part of that is not only were you joined to him as part of his body, but by that by nature means that you, we were joined to one another as part of each other because together we're part of Christ. 
And Paul is teaching them here that just as the church is to respect and reverence Christ as his head because Christ loves the church and gives, gave himself for the church. In that same way, husbands should love their wives and wives should respect their husbands because you're one. The whole key in marriage counseling is begin to, for a couple to begin to see that the devil has taken that issue and caused that issue to be a divisive thing and to, to between the two, to separate what God has joined together. And the key is to begin to get a couple to look at the problems of their life together. They don't see them the same way because you weren't designed to see them the same way, just as your eyes don't see things exactly the same way and your ears don't hear things exactly the same way. But what happens is when the devil's been working, we see those differences as a separating, not as a benefit to give us a depth of understanding and a depth of love. But God, it was God's idea. Marriage was God's idea. Adam was fat, dumb, and happy. He didn't have to agree with anybody. And God said it's not good for you to be alone. And God separated, separated out of him one half of his nature, which we would call the female half. So now he's got to live with somebody else who doesn't think like he thinks, doesn't see the way he thinks, and has a separate will of her own. Whereas before, he just resolved all that within himself. Now he's got to communicate. He's got to understand her feelings. And she's got to understand how, why he never changes his mind. He's always focused. And God says, the working out of that relationship is what's of value. In the same way, the working out of the relationship that we have with one another is what the world needs to see. Jesus said, they'll know what I'm like by the love you have one for another. And here's why this is so key, and then we'll, we'll end. If you see yourselves every Sunday when you come in here as what we have in common is we both go to this, all go to the same church and most of us belong to Faith Christian Center, then you've missed it. Completely missed it. I appreciate the comments and, and, and things that are said about how wonderful this church is, but this church is not an entity unto itself. We are all part of the body of Christ, and individually different members of it, but we're still part of the same body. We didn't go there, but in Ephesians 4, verse 25, it says that we are to take care of one another because we belong to one another. The world's idea of church, and unfortunately the church's idea of church, is that we all are individuals that come together to the same church together. God's idea is we're all part of one body and we're different members and therefore we're to care for one another. And I'll leave you with this image. The problem is if you don't see ourselves as one body, then it's like musical chairs. You know how musical chairs works? Musical chairs, what happens is you've got ten people in nine chairs. So when the music stops... Everybody scrambles to find a chair for themselves to sit on and one person's left out because the image, they're in competition with one another for what's available. With me? Why? Because they see themselves as individuals and when you see ourselves as individuals, we're competing with each other. That doesn't show up all the time except when your brother sitting next to you in the blue chair next to you shows you on the way out of church his brand new car. And you've been believing God for five years for one, and he's, he's been believing for a month. And you say, oh, bless you, that's so wonderful. No way. Why did they get a new car? <laughs> that's competition. Because we see ourselves as individuals competing for limited resources. When God says... You're one. You're one body. Imagine if those ten participants in musical chairs saw themselves as one. They would find a way for ten people to sit on nine chairs. And the difference, the only difference, is how they see themselves together. And so Paul, in order to prepare them to respond to the calling that they were being called up to, First of all, 
reminded them of who they were individually and then reminded them of who they were together. And we'll talk more about that because that's where God is calling us. I don't know what lies ahead, but what I know is this, is God is calling us to band together as a church, to care for one another, to look to one another for resources. I don't know how, but I just know that's where God's taking us, that the love that we will have for one another is not going to be a love that we're forced to have. It's going to become a love that we have for one another because we truly recognize who we are together. Already we're assigned to other people because what we have here simply by the different backgrounds is not natural. But this is only the beginning. God wants to take us to another level. We may start out a little bit on this next week. What we're going to do now is we're going to prepare. Don't come forward just yet because I want to I give an invitation. But what we're about to do is share the Lord's table together. What that really is, if you study it out, is communion is a... Is a, is a, is a Uh, 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 an exercise we go through that celebrates the union that we have with Christ that we've talked about this morning. When you eat that bread, what happens to it? It becomes part of your body. When you drink that cup, it becomes part of your body. It's now joined together with you in the same way you were joined to Christ and we've been joined to one another. Until that juice and until that bread goes into your mouth it has a separate identity but once it gets in your mouth and you chew it and your enzymes in your in your mouth begin to dissolve it now it gets absorbed in your body you can't separate out that identify that part as anything different than than you could before it was consumed you've been joined to christ in the spirit realm you look like christ it's this realm where we need to grow up and act like him. We'll talk more about this later.